Good morning, Thrive. My name is Marie Zell and I will be your online host for today. If this is your first time visiting us, please let us know. You can text new to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we will mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. We are delighted to have you here at Thrive. Yeah, Thrive Kids, we teach your children about the Lord and His great love for them. We believe in weaving the whole family into our community of faith. And that includes a vital and lively children's ministry at Thrive Kids Online. So don't forget to visit mythrive.info for the kids' activity and the Zoom class every Sunday from 10.45am to 11.15am. Mother's Day is coming up next week. Let's make sure to honor and celebrate our mom the way she likes it. So the question for today is, what is your mom's love language? Is it quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, physical touch or receiving gifts? Share it with the people sitting next to you or in the chat room with us. Before we get into the message today, if English is your second language and you can benefit from having a sermon outline in your preferred language, please feel free to head over to the myfrive.info to download one. Right now, we're only offering the outline in Mandarin, but we're hoping to add more languages in the near future. Now sit back and stay focused for this powerful message from Pastor JB. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you're what we call our VIP, and we especially want to welcome you. Whether you stumble upon us online or a friend invited you, we are just so thrilled that you're here. In fact, we've got a special gift to give all of our first-time guests today. If you're new to Thrive, we'd love it if you go to mythrive.in info and you can press the button that says new to thrive because we've got a very special stainless steel thrive church water bottle that we would love to send straight to your door just a simple way to say thank you so much for joining us today can we give all of our vips a big hand a big shout in this place together right now it is so good to have you here in fact we've got a saying here at thrive which is that welcoming is not just what we do it's who we are and so with that in mind you would you welcome one another to church today in your chat rooms with the people sitting beside you would you welcome another to the house of God today. It is so good to have you here. That's it. Yeah, give your neighbor a high five, a handshake, a, a hug, or an air version of any of those three. It's so good to have you here at Thrive Church Online. A big welcome to each and every one of you. Well, hey, last week was a very special week for us. We had the opportunity to baptize a number of our friends here at Thrive Church. And if you're wondering what baptism is, baptism is a simple step that someone takes to declare their faith in Jesus Christ. It's you saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died in the cross 
cross for me. I believe he rose again. And it was such a joy to see a number of friends getting baptized, even in the COVID-19 season. We set it up here at the Thrive Center and tried to do it as safely as we possibly could. We sanitized before and after. It took a lot longer for us to do those baptisms than we usually did, but it was such a joy to do so. Loved hearing the stories of different people who were getting baptized on that day. And uh, if you are interested in getting baptized, you can do so as well. You can sign up at mythrive.info and click the button baptism for more information on baptism. We'd love to arrange that with you, whether it's at our next baptism weekend here at Thrive Church or privately for you and doing it as safely as we can. Would you turn your neighbors in your chat rooms and say the best is yet to come? The best is yet to come. A huge congratulations to those who got baptized last week. Next week is Mother's Day, and we are super excited for Mother's Day, a chance to honor and celebrate the very important people in our lives, i.e. our moms, our grandmas. If you're a mom in this place, we especially hope that you will come next week and be blessed by what we do next week. In fact, we got a special gift to give to you. If you're a mom in this place, we would love to get your mailing address, and you can just go to that link and send us a mailing address for you that we can send a very special, simple gift to you just to wish you a very happy Mother's Day this year. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, I love my mom. I love my mom. I love my mom. Praise God. Well, we are also getting ready for something else happening later on this month that we're super excited about. It's called Thrive Discipleship School. And Thrive Discipleship School is about, all, about helping you grow in your relationship with God. And so if you, you know, just recently came to church, maybe you recently received Jesus into your life, maybe you just got baptized, maybe you just want to grow in your relationship with God, then we want to encourage you to sign up for the next round of Thrive Discipleship School Levels 1 and 2 happening on May the 16th, just a couple weeks weeks from now. If you're wondering about what it's like, uh, this is some feedback from people who just took our latest term of Thrive Disciple School TDS. Uh, one person wrote, if you've made a commitment to this faith and you don't really know how to begin or where to begin, then TDS is perfect for you. Another person said, I, because of TDS, I feel closer to God. When life was falling apart and the only thing I could do was hold on tight to God and wait and let God turn my mess into something beautiful, TDS helped me regain my faith back in God and showed me how to revive my relationship with God. Another person said, TDS, throughout the Supper School, has reminded me of a lot of good habits that I should have when following Jesus, some ones that I've neglected over the years. I'll try to remember to incorporate these habits in my daily life going forward. Can we give God a big hand for all that today? Praise God. Thrive Disciple School. It's one of the best things that we do here at Thrive. And we encourage you, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, this is for you. If you want to get to know more about Thrive Church, this is also for you. We encourage you to sign up and you can go to mythought.info to register for Thrive Disciple School. It's happening on May the 16th. We'd love to see you there. Turn your neighbor and say, can't wait to see you at TDS. Can't wait to see you at TDS. Well, that's all happening a week or two from now, but let's talk about today. Today is a super special day here at Thrive Church, and I want to encourage you to do this because at the end of our service, we're doing something called communion. Communion is an opportunity for us to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And so I encourage you to grab uh, a cup, and we use grape juice here at Thrive Church, but if you, you know, use something else, you, know, you don't have grape juice, you got water, you got something else, that's totally fine, something 
represent the blood of Jesus. You also may want to get a piece of bread. Here we use unleavened bread here at Thrive, but you don't, if you don't have that, that's okay. Grab some kind of bread that you can use uh, to represent the body of Jesus. And we're going to do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us at the end of our service. And we look forward to doing that with you later today. Praise God. Well, I am so excited to bring the message to you today. I cannot wait. And it's time to get into that right now. Do you guys bring your Bibles here today? Yeah, do you, do you, could you show me your Bible? I know I, I know I can't see, but I mean, I mean, you can show me your Bible anyways. This is my Bible. It's a paper Bible. Maybe yours is a device that you downloaded the Bible into. Either way is cool. Didn't bring a Bible? That's okay. We encourage you to get one one day. But in the meantime, we're going to do this together. This is a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message. So I'm going to encourage you to hold up your Bible in the air if you have one. If you didn't have one, just point to one near you. And we're just going to make this proclamation together in faith right now. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life. And I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Hey, if you're new to Thrive, if you're new to church generally, if you've never been to church before or new to the Bible, you're coming in from another faith background or no background at all, we are so excited that you're here. We hope you find that Thrive is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can find some community, find some encouragement, find some hope as we begin a brand new week together. And if you've got questions, we would love to do whatever we can to help you with them. You can write us at info at thrivechurch.ca if you've got prayer requests, we'd love to pray for you as well. And maybe you're here and like me from a many, many, many years ago, I had a bunch of questions about stuff like, you know, how do I know there's a God? Or how do I know I can trust the Bible? Or how does, how, how does faith work with science? Like, how are those two compatible? Or, you know, stuff like, you know, how do I know that there is a God who is good when there's suffering in this world? I had all these different questions. And last year, we did a series here at Thrive called Overcome My Unbelief, where we looked at some of the biggest questions that people have about the Christian faith. And if that's you, if you could benefit from that series, if you've got questions like that, we encourage you to go and check out that series. You can go to mythrive.info and check out that series called overcome my unbelief, and we hope it's an encouragement to you. Well, today we are doing a series here at Thrive, which we just started. It's pretty new, and we are so excited about it. It is called Waiting for Sunrise. Everyone say, Waiting for Sunrise. And this series called Waiting for Sunrise is where we're looking through the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and we're seeing how you can keep your hope alive in a time of waiting. Maybe you're going through a time of waiting right now. In fact, we all are. We're all waiting for COVID cases to go down. We're all waiting for coronavirus to be a thing of the past. We're all waiting for us to go back to normal life or as much as it can be. But maybe you're waiting in other ways as well when it comes to your future, when it comes to your career, when it comes to your health or the health of someone you love, when it comes to finding or waiting for for good news to come. You're still waiting. How do you keep your hope alive in a season of waiting? Well, we are looking at that topic and many other topics in this series called Waiting for Sunrise, looking at the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And so if you have the book of Isaiah in front of you, I want to encourage you to take your Bible and flip to Isaiah 13 today. Isaiah 13. I encourage you to have your Bible in front of you because I find you're going to make the most out of this time when you do. Uh, but uh, we're going to get into this together. In fact, we're not just studying the book 
of Isaiah on Sundays here at Thrive Church, but we're actually studying the book of Isaiah every single day. Uh, and if you want to sign up for Pastor JB's game time sharing, what we'll do is every day we'll send to you by email a passage from the book of Isaiah that you can read and then some thoughts you can think about, some stuff where if you're not really sure what to learn from that passage, I'll send you some of my thoughts and say, here, this is what I'm learning. And so we're just going to journey through the book of Isaiah during this time, and hopefully you find it to be a blessing to you. Well, it's time for Waiting for Sunrise. You guys ready? Episode four of Waiting for Sunrise. Let's get into today. Because the fact is, is today, we're not just looking at one verse from the book of Isaiah. We're not even just looking at one chapter from the book of Isaiah. Today, we're actually looking at 11 chapters of the book of Isaiah. That's right, 11 chapters. Don't worry, we're not going to read through all of it from start to finish. We're going to touch on different parts. But the reason why we're looking at 11 chapters today, from Isaiah 13 to Isaiah 23, is because these 11 chapters represent one important section of the book of Isaiah that is often known to be the hardest section of the book of Isaiah to understand, to read, to interpret. And so it's important that we look at the section together. And to give you a sense of just how hard this section of the book of Isaiah can be, I want to show you something that I don't think I've ever shown you before. Are you guys ready? I, ready. I, I need to go over here and grab it. Is that uh, this is my old Bible. And uh, I used to use this Bible for years and years and years. When I was living in Taiwan, uh, when you know, Thrive Church first started, uh, I had this Bible with me. It's actually a gift from uh, Charlene, my wife, uh, many, many years ago when we were still dating. She gave me this book. Uh, she gave me this Bible. She even kind of like etched my name in there. It's all kind of faded. It's, this is one of the most precious gifts that, uh, that, that my wife gave me when we were dating. Uh, and you know, I, I, was, I was asking her the other day, why, why did you give me a Bible? And, and she's like, well, uh, maybe it's because I thought you needed more of Jesus. <laughs> and so, hey, praise God. Praise God for godly women in our lives. How many of you know that it really helps when you have a partner who seeks God as well? Amen. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you, know, uh, you know, were dating at the time. She gave him this Bible. And so I just ended up using this Bible. It's a life application study Bible. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, to Christianity, and you want to get to know the Bible better, having a really good study Bible is really important. It's what it is. It's got the Bible, the scriptures, but it also has notes in the margins that help you to answer some of the questions that you might have, which other people have as well. And here's the thing is, as a, as a young Christian, let me show you this Bible. It's, it's pretty beat up. So I would keep this in my backpack, kind of wherever I went, and uh, it would kind of bounce around in my backpack and my knapsack, and it's gotten pretty beat up over time, such that, you know, when, when, I, when I open the Bible, uh, you know, the first book in the Bible is normally Genesis, but the first book in my Bible is not Genesis, it's, uh, it's Ruth. <laughs> um, and that's why I never preach from Genesis. I'm, I'm kidding, that's not why. But the, the, the thing is this, is that it got so beat up that it's kind of like, it's all become, almost kind of like, become like scrolls now. It's like, it's this kind of all separated this way and, and kind of out of order. Um, and, and, you know, whenever I would, you know, find a verse and read a verse that I, I, I liked, that I, I thought was encouraging or I thought was interesting, I would always, you know, take a highlighter or a ruler and a pen, and I, I, try, to out, I, I try to underline or highlight those verses uh, just as a way for me to remember what I was learning. Uh, and I find that's a helpful exercise for any of us, is that's part of how we grow. And for, in fact, during this message, if you find that there's stuff worth underlining, go ahead and do so. That's how we digest. That's how we process the Word of God. But the reason why I want to show this to you is because when you get to, because when you look at the New Testament, oh, lots of color, lots of pen, lots of underlining, you know, uh, but, but then when you get to Isaiah and when we get to the section of Isaiah that we're looking at together today, which is Isaiah 13 to 23, you're going to see that it is 
completely blank. <laughs> there's there's no color at all. There, there, it's, it's just, there, there's nothing highlighted. It's like, it's as if I've never read this passage before. And it's not because I'd never read the passage before. It's because I just didn't know as a young Christian what to do with this passage. Like, how do I read this? Like, like what am I supposed to do with this? How do I make sense of it? And guess what? I'm not the only one. The fact is that, you know, Isaiah 13 to 23 is often known as the hardest section of the book of Isaiah to read and to understand. And so that's why we wanna tackle it together. Today, I wanna unpack for you the book of Isaiah chapters 13 to 23. And it's important for me to let you know a word in Hebrew that you need to understand if you wanna understand Isaiah 13 to 23. Are you guys ready? Can I show you the word? Here it is. The book of Isaiah, and we're looking at chapters 13 to 23. The word I wanna show you is the word Massah. Can we show that? right now? Massah. Massah means, uh, well, let me, let me before, before I tell you what it means, let me tell you this, is that Massah is a word that Isaiah uses over and over and over in Isaiah, 20, uh, Isaiah 13 to Isaiah 23. And it actually is a term that Isaiah uses more than anyone else in the Bible. And in fact, when you see the word Messiah, you're gonna see it in Isaiah 13 to 23. And the only other time Isaiah uses it is one other time later on in Isaiah. But every other time he uses it over and over, it's all between Isaiah 13 and 23. And so it is really crucial to understand what Messiah means. And so let's get into it. What does Messiah mean? Messiah literally means burden. It means having a burden. And that's what it literally means. Figuratively, what it means is to have a prophecy, have a message, have an oracle. It's the idea that, that you know, Isaiah was burdened with a message from God such that he had to get it out. And so when you read Isaiah 13 to 23, you're gonna find that this word Messiah, which is translated as oracle or prophecy, comes up over and over and over. It's because Messiah means burden, not massage, but Messiah. You want to get a massage, you don't want to get a Messiah because Messiah means burden. And see, because of that, Isaiah 13 to 23 is often known as Isaiah's book of burdens. It's, this, it's a book of burdens. And, and it, what it is, is, is Isaiah is delivering messages to approximately 12 nations in the region where he lives. And those nations include Babylon, uh, Assyria, Philistia, Moab, Damascus or Aaron in Israel. There's Cush in Isaiah 18. There's Egypt in Isaiah 19. There's Babylon again. There's Edom. There's Arabia. There's Jerusalem and there's Tyre. And so in these 11 chapters, Isaiah is giving these messages to about 12 different nations. And the tone of all these messages is very heavy. It's like a burden. It's like a Massah. And that's partly why it's called a Massah because what Isaiah is doing is he's declaring judgment on these nations and decreeing destruction for them. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about. Look at Isaiah 17 together with me today. And you know, if you're going through the, you know, Pastor JB's game time assurance, this is the passage for today. And what does it say? It says in Isaiah 17, an oracle concerning Damascus. See, Damascus will no longer be a city, but will become a heap of ruins. The city of Orar will be deserted and left to flocks, which will lie down with no one to make them afraid. The fortified 
city will disappear from Ephraim and royal power from Damascus. The remnant of Aram will be like the glory of the Israelites, declares the Lord Almighty. In that day, the glory of Jacob will fade. The fat of his body will waste away. And then drop down to verse nine. It says, in that day, their strong cities, which they left because the Israelites will be like places abandoned to thickets and undergrowth and all will be desolation. You have forgotten God, your savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant imported vines, though on the day you set them out, you make them grow. And on the morning when you plant them, you bring them to bud. Yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of disease and incurable pain. Oh, the raging of many nations, they rage like the raging sea. Oh, the uproar of the peoples, they roar like the roaring of great waters. Although the people roar like the roar of surging waters, when he rebukes them, they flee away, driven before the wind like chaff on the hills, like tumbleweed before a gale. In the evening, sudden terror. Before the morning, they are gone. This is the portion of those who loot us, the lot of those who plunder us. Okay. All right, what do we do with a passage like this? The fact is that this coming week, as we read the book of Isaiah, we're gonna read a number of messages that sound a lot like this. What are you supposed to do with a passage like this? Say, say you're a young Christian, or you're just, you know, you're trying to get to know the Bible and you wanna find an encouraging verse to underline from this passage. What would you underline from this passage that we just read right now? Maybe you would underline verse four, uh, you know, in that day, the glory of Jacob will fade, the fat of his body will waste away. You know, maybe if you're on a diet, maybe you'd want, oh, the fat of his body will waste away. I want that to happen to me. The fat of my body will waste away. No, no, you're taking it out of context that way. Don't do that. But the thing is this, it is sometimes tough to know what to do with this passage in the book of burdens, Isaiah 13 to 23. And in fact, the book of burdens might even challenge the way you think about God a little bit. Because you might be reading these messages about destruction and judgment. And you think to yourself, you know, I thought God's a God of love. Like, like, how could God do something like this? How could God decree destruction for a certain nation? You know, does God still do that today? You know, before I answer those questions directly today, I want to tell you today is that as you get to know Isaiah 13 to 23, this book of burdens from Isaiah, there are four truths about God that you need to know that are that come out of Isaiah 13 to 23. And it is so crucial that you know these four truths about God, because when you don't stand on the truth of who God is, you will fall for a lie. And so we need to stand on the truth of God's, of who God is, lest we fall for a lie. And that's because with every truth about God that there is, there is also a corresponding lie that we might be tempted to believe. And when we believe the lie, instead of standing on the truth, we can easily misunderstand who God is. And that doesn't just uh, you know, affect the way we relate to God. It affects the way we see ourselves. It affects the way we relate to others. It affects the way we live our lives. And so we need to, have, we need to stand on the truth of who God is and not fall for a lie. If you believe that, say amen. And there are four truths about God that we need to get from Isaiah 13 to 23. And whenever you read anything from Isaiah 13 to 23, you want to keep these four truths in mind. Number one, write this down. God is just. God is just. You know, as you read Isaiah 13 to 23, maybe there's a part of it that thinks, you know what, how could a loving God do something like this? Like, you know, decree destruction for a nation or destruction for a city. Let me tell you, God in Isaiah 13 to 23 is taking a stand against the evil, the injustice, 
the wickedness that he sees in the world. And it's wickedness and injustice and evil that he's been putting up with for centuries and centuries. This is not some snap judgment or some knee-jerk reaction, but this is God finally taking a stand against wickedness and evil and injustice that he sees. For example, in, in, in his Massah to Babylon, in Isaiah 13, 11, God says, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. See, what's going on here? See, this is part of God's message to Babylon, but in fact, a lot of this also bleeds into what he's going to say to other nations. God is basically saying, I see the evil that's in this world. I see the injustice that happens, and I'm going to do something about it. You know, there's an Irish statesman and philosopher called Edmund Burke, and he once wrote that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. See, is that for evil to advance, all it takes is for good people just to do nothing at all. And you could say that the same could go for God as well, is that God would not be loving and God would not be just if God continually turned a blind eye to evil and injustice and never did anything about it. And see, the book of burdens tells us that God is not like that. God is not someone who just kind of stands idly by as injustice happens, as evil happens, happens, as rapes happen, as, you know, as, as child abuse happens, as evil happens, and he doesn't care. He's not there. He's never going to do anything about it. No, the, the book of burdens, Isaiah 13 to 23, shows us that God cares about justice, that when injustice happens, it breaks God's heart. When injustice happens, God's wrath is ignited, that when injustice happens, God is burdened to do something about it because God is a just God. And see, does God delight in destroying the wicked? Absolutely not. But that's why it's called a Messiah. It's heavy. It's heavy for God. It's a heavy burden for Isaiah to carry this message. It's of course heavy to hear it, but it needs to be delivered because in his justice, God cannot and will not let evil go unpunished forever because God is just. And see, in the kingdom of God, you're gonna find justice and love go hand in hand. You can't be just without being loving. You can't be loving without being just. They go together hand in hand, justice and love. And see, does God still do the same thing today? Does God still decree destruction for nations and cities? Is, is COVID-19 God's way of slaying the wicked and, and, and you're getting rid of evil? Or, or is, that, is that it? Let, let, let me say this. I believe it's not it. I believe that, that that's, not, not, that's not what's happening is that you gotta understand that the cross where Jesus died changes everything is that when we were separated from God because of our sin, when each one of us had done our own, you know, wicked or evil or unjust things, said things, thought things, done things that are not God's way, it's our way, and our sins separate us from God such that we can't have anything to do with God no matter how hard we try. God didn't abandon us. He didn't divorce us. He didn't say to hell with you. Instead, because he loves you and me, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to take on all the wrath that we deserve for our sin. And all that wrath was placed on Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven, so that our debt could be canceled, so that justice could be paid, but at the same time, mercy could be poured out. That's why we have the cross. And what the Bible says that not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins to pay for our sins, but on the third day after he died, he rose again from the grave to show that Jesus is no ordinary man. But when you place your trust 
trust in Jesus. You believe that he's the son of God. Your sins are forgiven. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven and the best is yet to come. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand. Here's a place together right now. That's the hope and the love of God that we have in Jesus. Now, see, here's the thing, is that you're gonna find that in the New Testament, you don't see apostles and prophets decreeing destruction the way that Isaiah did. You don't see Paul going, Rome is going down. Or you, know, you don't see you know, Peter going, you know, Corinth is gonna be destroyed. He doesn't say those things. Why? It's because the cross changes everything is that God's wrath was completely poured out on Jesus, his son, so that we could be forgiven. And you know, one day Jesus is gonna come again. And the first time he came, he came as a suffering servant to die on the cross for our sins. The next time he comes, he comes as a conquering king. And he comes to see who has responded to him in humility and who's responded to him and received him in their lives. And so one day Jesus will come again to stamp out injustice and evil completely. But in the meantime, God waits to see who will respond to his mercy expressed at the cross where Jesus died. And see, what is the lie that we buy into when we forget that God is just? When we just think, oh, God is love, God is you know, forgiving, God is, but we forget that God is just. What is the lie that we buy into? What's the trap that we fall into? The lie we buy into is, oh, I can do whatever I want and God doesn't care. I can do whatever I want and it doesn't matter to God because God's not even there. That's the lie that we buy into. There's even a kind of a sick Christian version of that way of thinking, which is, you know, I'll just do whatever I want because God's gonna forgive me anyways. You know, I'll sleep around because God will forgive me. I'll cheat in my taxes because God will forgive me. You know, I'll, I'll do this and that because God will forgive me. And see, here's the thing. If you think that God's grace, his undeserved kindness is somehow a license for you to live a selfish, sinful life, then you've misunderstood why God brought Jesus in the first place. It's that God didn't send Jesus Christ to rescue you from the ocean of your sins, only for you to hop back into that ocean and drown again. God made you and he saved you through Jesus to live a brand new life, amen. It's because God is just. God is not just about you know, fuzzy, warm feelings, but he is just, he is holy. Evil cannot stand in his presence. And so in the book of burdens, Isaiah 13, 23, God is taking a stand against evil and injustice. That's the first thing we can learn about God in this place. The second truth about God we can learn from Isaiah 13 to 23 is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. What does that mean? In other words, God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it and with whomever he wants to do it with. He is sovereign. He is the king. And no matter how powerful a country may appear to be, no matter how huge a situation might appear, God is much bigger than that country. God is much bigger than that situation. God is the true king. God is the true sovereign. He alone is all powerful and nothing can stop him when he decides to do something. He is sovereign. And see, nations can plan, people can plan, but at the end of the day, God always has the last word because God is sovereign. Turn your name and say, God is sovereign. For example, look at Isaiah 14. What does it say in verse 26 and 27? It says, this is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out and who can turn it back? What does it talk about? It's talking about God's sovereignty. That when God decides to do something, you can't stop it. 
It's, it's, it's just, he is sovereign. And see, the book of burdens doesn't just talk about the sovereignty of God. It actually shows the sovereignty of God. Do you know how? Is that if you want to know just why Isaiah was so respected as a prophet, as known as someone who, who knew God's heart in a way that most people don't, all you need to do is study the book of burdens, Isaiah 13 to 23. Is that one of the remarkable things about the book of Isaiah is that in the book of Isaiah, God gives Isaiah knowledge about future events. Many of these events will not happen in Isaiah's lifetime. Rather, they would happen centuries after Isaiah has died. And these are things that no one would have guessed would happen in Isaiah's time. For example, in the book of Burdens, we start with a message to Babylon, Isaiah 13. And in Isaiah 13, Isaiah 14, Isaiah is talking about Babylon as if it is the most powerful empire that there is. And it calls Babylon the jewel of all kingdoms. It calls Babylon the tyrant, the great oppressor. Now, if you are living in Isaiah's time in about 700 BC, and you're hearing Isaiah talk about Babylon as the great empire, you know, the great oppressor, then you will be like, what? Are you serious? Babylon, the oppressor? Babylon, the tyrant? Babylon, the jewel of all kings? Are you kidding me, Isaiah? What, like, what, what, what weed are you smoking right now? Because the fact is this, Babylon is not the dominant power of our time. Assyria is. And in fact, for three centuries, Isaiah, don't you know that Babylon has been struggling under the yoke of Assyria for all this time, being pushed back and forth, bullied by Assyria, and you're calling Babylon the oppressor? You're calling Babylon the jewel of all kingdoms? What, like, what are you talking about? And yet, just over 100 years after Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah 13 and 14, Babylon would indeed rise up to defeat Assyria and become an even greater world power than Assyria ever was. See, that's the sovereignty of God. Isaiah 13, 17 says one more thing. It says, it says, see, I will stir up against them, that's Babylon, the Medes, who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. See, what's going on? Is that Isaiah has just predicted that Babylon's will become this great world power, greater than Assyria, greater than anyone else. And then he's going to say, someone's going to come and dethrone Babylon. And who is it? Who is it? It is the Medes. Now, if you are living in Isaiah's time, 700 BC, you're like, the Medes? Like that tiny little tribe, the Medes are going to dethrone Babylon? Like what in the world are you talking about, Isaiah? But sure enough, about 150 years after Isaiah wrote down this prophecy about the Medes overthrowing Babylon, guess what? The Medes would become part of the kingdom of Persia, and their king called Cyrus, who's known as the king of the Persians and Medes, would end up conquering Babylon in about 586 BC. See, these are things that no one would have guessed would happen, and yet they happened. There's nothing in the past or the present in Isaiah's time that would warrant giving that kind of conclusion, and yet they happened because God gave that message to Isaiah. It's the sovereignty of God. And see, if I were to kind of compare just how crazy those things are, you know, like, let me, let me say, let me speak to hockey fans right now. Like, if you're a hockey fan, like, you know, my friend Ricky, you, you could say this, you know, it's kind of like what, what, what Isaiah just said about Babylon and the media, that, that, that's kind of like saying, you know, the Vancouver Canucks are the greatest NHL hockey franchise that has ever existed. They will win more championships than the Montreal Canadiens, than the Edmonton Oilers of the late 80s, than the New York Islanders of the early 80s, than all of them combined. And then one day they're going to be dethroned by the Buffalo Sabres. 
And if you know anything about sports, you know that the Vancouver Canucks and the Buffalo Sabres are two of the, un- the most unlucky, the two unluckiest franchises in the NHL. You're like, what? How's that possibly ever gonna happen? Maybe you're not a hockey fan. Maybe I'll do, I'll do, I'll do basketball, NBA, all right? That's like you saying, when, when Isaiah talks about Babylon and, and the Medes, that, that's, like you, that's like me telling you today, you know what? The greatest basketball franchise, the greatest championship basketball team of all time is the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's right. Greater than the LA Lakers, greater than the Boston Celtics, greater than the Chicago Bulls. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. And they are going to win more championships than anyone. And then they're going to be dethroned by none other than the Sacramento Kings. See, if you know anything about sports, you're like, what? But that's kind of the thing that Isaiah was doing. Maybe you're not into sports at all. Let me give you one last example of how crazy that is. Say you're into real estate, all right? Crazy real estate market here in Canada right now, especially in Vancouver, Toronto, you know, Montreal. Say I were to tell you this, that one day the greatest hotbed for real estate activity is not Vancouver in BC. It's going to be Trail, BC, with a population of 7,000 people. And they're going to be, there's going to be so much activity that everyone's going to flock there. And then after that, someone's going to dethrone Trail, BC. It's Greenwood, BC, which is the smallest city in all of Canada, but population of 600 people. And see, if I were to say that to you, you'd be like, you are, you are crazy, JB. But that's what was going on in Isaiah's time. He's saying these things, and yet they happen because God is sovereign. And see, God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, with whoever he wants to do it with. If you believe that, say amen. And you might be, oh, but you know, how, how could God do something like this? You know, how could God allow that? The fact is God is sovereign. He doesn't owe an explanation to any of us. He is El Elyon. He is supreme in position. He is El Shaddai. He is absolute in power. And so he is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But of course, the reason why we trust God, because the Bible doesn't just say that God is sovereign, but also God is good. And that's why we trust him. But here's the thing. When we forget that God is sovereign, what lie do we buy into? What trap do we fall into? When we forget that God is sovereign, that he's the one in control, that he's the king, the lie we buy into is that we start thinking that I'm the king. It's about me. It's about how people can serve me. It's how the world revolves around me. I stop, through, I, I stop thinking about how the, actually the universe is all around God. It's for God. And I start thinking it's actually about me. And, and we start assuming that the reason God exists is somehow to serve me, to you know, bless me, to make me comfortable, to answer all my prayers. And, and it's one of those things where when God doesn't serve us the way that we demand, that somehow we start blaming God or we disown God or we stop believing in God because we think it's all about me. That's the trap we fall in. But see, here's the thing. Let me tell you this today. Is that when God doesn't do what you want him to do, that doesn't show that there's no God. That just shows that you're not God. Amen? Is that when God doesn't do what you want him to do, that doesn't prove there is no God. That simply proves that you're not God, but God is sovereign. And see, God is sovereign. And because he is the king, what does that mean for us? We don't want to be prideful, but we want to be humble. In fact, so much of Isaiah 13 to 23 is God opposing the proud, but giving grace to the humble. It's about God taking a stand against the pride of different nations that thought they became so great all in their own power and ability and forgot that actually God is the true sovereign one. Turn to your neighbor and say, only God is sovereign. Only God is sovereign. Amen. Is this helpful in this place together? 
Yeah, praise God. Well, number three, number three, third truth that we can learn about who God is from Isaiah 13 to 23, write this down. God has a heart for all nations. God has a heart for the nations. See, God doesn't just see individuals. God doesn't just see a family. God doesn't just see a group of people, like even like a city or a church, but see, God sees nations. That's how he looks at things. And, and you know, when Jesus was walking on this earth, he wouldn't just deal with individuals. You know, when he would talk, sometimes he would speak to cities. He would say, you know, he would talk to Chorazin, which is a city. He talked to Bethsaida, which is a city. He talked to Jerusalem, which is a city. He, he'd say these things out loud as if speaking to a whole nation or a whole city, because that's the way that God sees. It's not just individual all the time for God. God sees things in much bigger ways. And see, in, in Isaiah 13 to 23, one of the big themes of the book of burdens is that God is drawing to himself a kingdom of different nations, a kingdom which consists of people from different backgrounds, different colors, different cultures, different languages. And one day they will all worship God together. Look at Isaiah 19, 19 to 21. This is, you know, God's Messiah, his burden for Egypt. And this is what he says. He says, in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a, de- a savior and defender and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. See, what's going on? Is that God is somehow drawing nations that have been at war with one another, and he's leading them not just to peace with one another, but to the worship of him. He's calling nations to worship him. And as they worship God and see God's face, they find peace with one another. Maybe the reason why you are not at peace with that person in your home right now is because you're not looking to God first. And th- th- but that's what's happening right now in, in Isaiah 19. And see, it's this idea that God has a heart for all nations. And he's got a heart to draw people from different nations to himself. What's the lie that we buy into? What's the trap that we fall into when we forget that God has a heart for all nations? You know what the trap is? We start living in this very tiny bubble that we live in, tiny bubbles. And and we just live in this tiny bubble where it's all about me and my family. It's all about me and my stuff. It's all about my culture. It's all about even no, my, my country, my kind, my people. And we just think about just in terms of who is like me. And we, and we just, that's kind of all that we see. That's all we, that's, that's all that we, that's all we talk about. That's all we're concerned about. That's all we, that, that, those are the people we pray for. We only pray for my kind, my people without caring for people who are different from us. And see, we even might even have this, almost this weird spiritualized patriotism where we're just concerned about what God is doing with my people and no one else. And it's this, it's this weird thing that happens. That's how racism happens. It's where we forget that God loves people on 
every nation, in every place. And he loves people regardless of their culture. He loves people in the skin that they're in. And we, we forget that. And we start to, to make these weird, you know, prejudicial conclusions that God never makes about anybody because he loves every single person. Say, like, for example, they say that the, the Vancouver Police Department, they, 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 they reported there's like, you know, in the past year, there's like a 717% increase in racist crimes that, across Vancouver especially toward people of East Asian descent, that is wrong. And that is the opposite of the heart of God. See, God has a heart for all nations. Turn here and say, God has a heart for all nations. For every person, every nation. That's why here at Thrive Church, we often say, we're not an Asian church that happens to speak English and that happens to have lots of other people from other nations worshiping with us. No, we are a multicolored, multi-ethnic, multicultural church and we happen to have a lot of Asians because Vancouver, guess what, has a lot of Asians. But the fact is, God's kingdom is a multicultural kingdom and that's why our church here at Thrive is a multicultural church. Oh, come on, give God a big had a big shout in this place together right now. It's because God has a heart for all nations. And if you don't feel that way, if you don't think that way, then I guess God wants to expand your heart and your perspective because God has a heart for all nations. And you know, God has a massah, a burden to bring people from different nations to himself. And because God has a heart for the nations, you know, that's why here at Thrive, we try to express that heart in different ways. You know, in the past year, we, we helped out with Lebanon, Beirut, when there was a big explosion in Beirut, uh, like a gas explosion. You know, we sent money and aid to people in Lebanon, Beirut. You know, we, you know in Kenya, uh, you know, we, we sent Bibles to new Christians in Kenya. You know, we, in the past, we sent teams to places like Taiwan or Myanmar. And, and, and because God has a heart for the nations, I want to tell you the next thing we're going to be doing as a church together uh, that I think is going to bring hope and spread contagious hope because God's hope is contagious. We want to do something for India. Fact is this, if you've been reading the news lately, even this past week, you'll find that India is right now in the throes of a crazy like a crazy, crazy time with COVID-19. They say that uh, this past week, the daily average number of new COVID cases is 350,000 cases a day. 350,000 cases a day. And right now, it's about 20 million cases of COVID in India right now. And, you know, it's, it's crazy because just a few months ago, before we were hearing about India this way, you know, I think God was placing on our heart you know, people here on the staff and leadership and all this stuff, a, a, a heart for, you know, what's going on in India. Um, and we didn't even hear about the stuff regarding COVID. And praise God, you know, Pastor Tim and Sandra, uh, you know, and, you know, their, their organization, Gateway Ministries, they are partnering with a, a, an amazing church in India called Zion Faith Ministries. This is actually not one church, but it's, it's a network of churches, of, of hundreds of hundreds of churches. And Zion Faith Ministries, they have uh, a, an orphanage in India that is caring for about 100 orphans, children who are probably anywhere between the ages of one to about 17. These are all orphans. They lost their parents long ago and, and, and they're now in this orphanage. And you know, months and months ago, uh, you know, we said, you know, we want to, we want to, participate in what God is doing there. We want, to, we want to provide for people that way. We want to take care of these orphans. And so, you know, over the past few months, we as a church have been giving. And so I want to thank you guys so much for those of you who've been giving to throughout churches that when you give, know that you're not just helping the local church here, but you're actually making a difference in the lives of orphans in India. Praise God. Can you give God a hand for that? And, and see, here's the thing. 
They need our help more than ever. And so when you give, know that when you give, you are helping to give hope to people in other nations like India, because God has a heart for the nations, amen. And because God has a heart for the nations, we here at Thrive Church, we wanna have a heart for the nations as well. And so may God bless Pastor Param and his family during this time. Even Pastor Param had got COVID. He lost a number of pastors to COVID as well. We wanna do something about that. We wanna send aid to India. And so I encourage you to give to Thrive Church as we continue to give toward this very important cause. Praise God. Praise God. May God help us. Finally, last truth about God we'll talk about today last truth that we can learn from Isaiah 13 to 23 is that God is not just just. He's not only sovereign. He's not only a God who has a heart for the nations, but number four, God is focused on providing hope for the long-term. God is focused on providing hope for the long-term. See, despite the destruction that is predicted for different nations, for each nation in Isaiah's book of burdens, Isaiah 13 to 23, In almost every message in this book of burdens, God plants a seed of hope. Do you know that? Is that, for example, Isaiah 15 and 16 is the oracle concerning Moab. And in the middle of giving this message about how trouble and weeping and devastation are gonna impact the nation of Moab, Isaiah, in the middle of talking about all this, he includes a message of hope. He look, look at Isaiah 16, four to five. It says, let the, Moabite refu- let the Moabite fugitives stay with you. Be their shelter from the destroyer. The oppressor will come to an end and destruction will cease. The aggressor will vanish from the land. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. See what's going on? Is that in the middle of describing the trouble and the devastation that was coming to Moab. Isaiah is pointing the people of Moab to the day that there will be a king coming from the house of Judah who will rule in righteousness and justice. And that the people of Moab, they can put their trust in this Messiah as well. And see, it's not just a a, a Messiah for the people of Judah. It's actually a savior, a king for the people of Moab as well. Who is that king? His name is is Jesus. And see, what the lesson there is, is that in the middle of your trouble, you have a king to turn to. His name is Jesus Christ. Just like the Moabites would do, you want to turn to Jesus. Another thing, another example is the the example of Tyre. Isaiah 23 is that Tyre is one of the wealthiest nations at the time that Isaiah is living. And there's this oracle, this burden for Tyre, which goes like this, Isaiah 23, 15. At that time, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years years, the span of a king's life. But at the end of these 70 years, her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. See what's going on is that it's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to cause Tyre to be forgotten. God says for 70 years, no one's going to think about Tyre anymore. It's this huge economic center. And yet no one's going to think about it for 70 years. But then one day I'm going to build up Tyre again. And now the profits that it makes from its businesses, you know, the money that it takes in from its economy, it's going to be used for a much greater purpose from now on. It's going to be used to glorify me. And see, it's a lesson there too, is that oftentimes God allows something to be broken down so we can build it up even stronger later on. And see, this happens with the majority 
of the messages in the book of burdens, Isaiah 13 to 23, is that in the middle of their trouble, God puts a message of hope. It's like when everything is cut down to a stump, there's still this little seed of hope inside. There's a little sprout coming out of hope. And maybe today you feel like your story is like a book of burdens right now. But I gotta tell you this, God is not done with your story. You might be feel, feel, feel like you've been cut down to a stump, but let me tell you this, if you've got Jesus in your life, you've got a seed of hope that's gonna sprout. See, God is in the business of turning your Messiah, your burden, into a message of hope. That's his business. That's his specialty. He takes your Messiah and turns it into a message of hope. Keep this in mind. You know, when Isaiah, he's writing down all these different oracles and prophecies for different nations, you know, he's probably weeping as he's doing because this is not, this is heavy. This is not, oh, yay, destruction for this one. Destruction. No, he, 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 is, he is weeping probably as he's doing this. And know this, Isaiah probably didn't go and deliver these messages to these different nations personally. Of course, he didn't have email to send them an email or a text and go, ah, voila, king of Tyre. He, he didn't do that. But it's, it's that very likely he was delivering these messages in the hearing of his own people, Judah. And it's as if God was using these different messages, these different prophecies about these different nations to speak a message to his own people of Judah to say, don't even think about putting your hope in something or someone other than me. Is that with Assyria being as big and powerful as it is, don't put your hope in Babylon. Don't put your hope in Moab. Don't put your hope in Tyre. Don't put your hope in Egypt. Put your hope in me. And the lesson here is this, is that hope comes not when we put our hope in our circumstances or in our plans or in our own abilities or in other people. Hope comes when we put our hope in God, in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. And see, when we forget that, when we forget that God is about providing hope for the long term, when we forget that God is writing a story that's not just about my, my year or my month, but it's about a lifetime, then what trap do we fall into? What lie do we buy into? Is that we start to think, oh, God's not working. Nothing's happening. We get impatient. We start thinking that, you know, everything has to be done now. I need a solution now. It has to be resolved now. And we think, oh, I want instant gratification. I want instant solutions right now. But see, whereas we can be so impatient sometimes, how many know God is never in a hurry? God knows what he's doing. We can be all so focused on what is God doing today? What is God doing this week? What is God doing this month? But God is thinking much bigger than that. He's about providing hope for the long term. He's about, you know, thinking in terms of generations, in terms of centuries from now, what's going to happen. He's in it for the long haul. And see, so if you're going through a difficult time right now, you need to remember, God is not done with your story. You got to be patient. You got to give it time. To your neighbor and say, give it time. Give it time. Have you learned something in this place today? I want to recap today. What did we learn today from Isaiah 13 to 23? This book of burdens. Well, we learned a number of things about who God is. We learned four truths about who God is. Number one is that God is just. God can't stand evil. And one day he stamps it all out. Number two, God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, with whomever he wants. Number three, God has a heart for the nations, not just you, not just your family, but he has a heart for people who are very different from you. He has a heart for the nations. Number four, God is focused on providing hope for the long term, not just about putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm or doing something just today or just this month. 
sometimes, in fact, you'll find that God is about clear cutting and then bringing something new. Sometimes that's what has to happen. And as you read Isaiah this week, as you continue in a season of waiting, I want you to keep these four truths about who God is in mind. In fact, you know what we see these four truths about God at the cross. Do you know that? Is that at the cross where Jesus died, God showed that he is just. That's where our sins found their punishment. You know, at, at the cross, God showed that he is sovereign. No one would have predicted that God would get rid of our sins this way, but he does whatever he wants to do, whatever he wants to do it, because he's not just sovereign, but in the case of the cross, he is so, so good and merciful too. And then, well, at the cross, you know, God showed that he has a heart for the nations. When Jesus well, was nailed to the cross and he stretched out his arms, this was him stretching out his arms for every single person who's on this planet. Every single person from every single nation of every single color and every single culture. It was for every single person. This heart for the nations, not just your country, not just people who speak your language, but for every person on this planet, because God loves the world. He gave his son, Jesus. Finally, at the cross, we see that God is about providing hope for the long-term, not just in the short-term, not just today, but for the long-term. You know, when, the, when Jesus died on the cross, that was not a victorious moment at that time. People thought that was failure. People thought that was humiliation. People thought that was the end. People thought that was the defeat of Jesus and this movement that he started in the short-term. But that was not the end of God's story. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended to heaven. And now Jesus is the king of the greatest kingdom that there ever was, is, or ever will be. His is the kingdom that will last forever. Oh, come on, give Jesus our king. A big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. And see, the, the cross where Jesus died is proof that sometimes God will allow death in the short term if it will bring hope for the long-term, because that's what God's about. He's about providing hope for the long-term. God is a God of hope. And when we had no way of reaching God, he sent Jesus Christ for us. And to show how long-term it was, he did it 2,000 years before you and I were even born. That's how long-term his plans are. Well, let's end today by talking about you today. Which of these four truths about God are you often quickest to forget, quickest to take for granted? God is just. God is sovereign. God has a heart for the nations. God plans hope for the future and it's the long term. See, since God is just, that means for us, we want to live justly. We want to conduct our affairs, our businesses, our relationships fairly with justice. We want to speak up for the truth. We want to speak up for justice because God is a just God. We want to not take revenge into our own hands, but trust God to be our defender and our shield, our avenger, because God is a just God. Amen. You know, since God is a sovereign king and he's the one who's in control, then let's live not as if we're the king. Let's know that he's the king and live under his rule, trusting him. You know, since God has a heart for the nations, let's not live in our tiny little bubble where it's all about me and my little family, but we're looking at the family of God, which is for all nations. You know, and since God is about providing hope for the long term, let's learn to be patient like God is patient. Let's learn to have a long-term perspective on our lives, knowing that God is not just about what happens today or what happens tomorrow or what happens this month, but he's writing a story that crosses generations, lifetimes, centuries into eternity because that's the kind of God that we serve. Praise God. Amen. Well, today, 
wanna end by giving you an opportunity to respond to God. And maybe you're here in this place and you're new to Christianity, you're new to the Bible, but you've been hearing this message that God loves you, that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. Maybe all this time you thought that, you know, when you die, that what you have to do is give God a resume of all the good things you've done and just hope maybe, maybe he'll let you in. Maybe you were good enough, hopefully. But see, God is a sovereign God and he doesn't want it that way. In fact, he's so holy that nothing you do could ever reach him. But God sent Jesus Christ and reached for us and he wants you to receive that gift today. If you wanna receive the gift of God's forgiveness, the gift of peace with God, then I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me together. You can scan the QR code that's on your screen or you can click the link that's in your chat room. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer just as a way to invite Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. We can't forgive our own sins, but God can, and he did so through Jesus Christ. And if you want to receive that forgiveness as his gift, then I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. Just so go ahead and don't be afraid. Don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't concern them. Why don't you click that link? Why don't you scan that code? And we're going to pray this prayer. You're not alone in doing it. Others are doing it with you. I'm going to do it with you as well. I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer from your heart today. It doesn't matter so much the words you say as much as the attitude of your heart, but let's use this as a guide to invite Jesus Christ as our Savior today. Would you do that together right now with me? Why don't you pray this prayer? Say, Dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, then the Bible says that you are forgiven of your sins, not because of anything you've done, but because God is a merciful, loving God who sent Jesus for you. And if that's you, then guess what? According to the Bible, you have a relationship with God. You are a child of God. He is your father. We're your family. You're a priest in God's kingdom now, and the best is yet to come. And so a big congratulations to those of you who, who prayed that prayer just now. We have a special gift that we want to give to you just to congratulate you uh, and encourage you in this relationship with God. You can, at the bottom of that prayer page that you saw, you can click uh, another link that gets you to a gift that we want to give to you just to encourage you in uh, this decision that you've made today. And I'll encourage you to keep coming back to church. You know, every baby needs a family to grow in and we want to encourage you to keep on coming to church. That's how we grow. I encourage you to consider getting baptized. Baptism is not a graduation, but it's a beginning. It's you simply saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. And if that's you, encourage you to get baptized. Sign up at mythrive.info and touch the word baptism for more information on that. Uh, and uh, if you're here in this place and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, uh, then in just a minute, uh, after uh, the, uh, the, the worship team leads us in the song, we're gonna do something called communion. I encourage you to grab a piece of bread, a, a cup, and we're gonna do that together. But in, in the meantime, we just wanna do this one more thing. I want you to, everyone here in this place, if you're here, you're listening, I want you to, 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 to do this with me right now. Let's respond to God. Would you lift a hand to God right now? Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him. But would you lift up a hand to God right now and let the height of your hands reflect you honoring God as the one who is sovereign, the one who is just, the one who has a heart for every nation, the one who has hope for the long term. Would you lift up your hand to God as an expression of your faith today? And would you, in your own words, just start talking to God right now. Respond to the message you've heard today and start worshiping God for who he is. Start worshiping God for who he is. Would you start talking to God right now? Just start talking to God in your own words right now. Just start talking to him, respond to him, worship him, adore him, give your burdens to him, look to him, him, you know, ask him for forgiveness if there's sins, sins that you need to confess. Look to God today because he loves you. Look to God today because he's listening. Look to God today because he's
because he's here. Would you do that right now? That's it. In your own words, just start talking to God today. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, God. We worship you today. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. There's none like you. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. God, we want to thank you so much for the fact that you are just, the fact that you are sovereign, the fact that you have a heart for every nation, the fact that you are all about giving hope for the long term. And so it's with that in mind that we pray for India today. We pray, Lord Jesus, for every child, every woman, every man, every person in India right now. And we know the kind of stuff they're going through. You know better than we do, but we ask, Lord Jesus, for your help for India today. We ask, God, that the, the funds we're bringing over to India would be something that would really help, that would go to the right people. We pray for the orphans that we are committed to taking care of in this time. We pray, Father God, that you would protect them especially, that you would be a shield around them. You would be a shield around that orphan orphanage. You'd be a shield around Pastor Param and his family. You'd be a shield around all the different pastors and the families that have lost a loved one, families that lost a dad or a mom or lost a pastor, lost a brother or a sister. Father, we pray for them today. We pray your comfort to rest upon India today. We pray your peace for India today. We pray hope for India today. We know, God, that when people look to you, that is the beginning of hope. And so we pray that somehow through all of this, that God, people would look to you and find that with you, they have everything they need. We pray for India India today. We pray for every single person in this place today. We thank you, God, for being the God who's committed to giving hope for the long term and that your story in the lives of other people here watching right now is far from over, that the best is yet to come. We thank you, Jesus, for being the God who takes our Messiah, our burden, and turns it to a message of hope. We invite you to do that once again today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Amen. Right now, the worship band is going to lead you in a song. Let's respond to God. And then we're also going to do communion. We're also here. If you call through our church, your home church, you just believe in the work as God is doing here, let's give our faithful tithes, our generous offerings. Know that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. And not only that, he builds his church through us. And so let's give our very best to God because he gave his very best to us. Let's worship God together right now. Doesn't matter where I run, you're there for me. It doesn't matter what I've done, your love's for me. You wipe away the tears, you lift me when I fall. My life is saved by the mercy of your grace. It doesn't matter where I go, you walk with me It doesn't matter when I fall, you cover me You wipe away the tears, you lift me when I fall My life is saved by the mercy of your grace You are my Father Provider, you're my deliverer, your mercies and grace. 
embrace me, surround me through your everlasting love. Father, I worship you. Father, I worship you. It doesn't matter where I run, you're there for me. It doesn't matter what I've done, your love's for me. You wipe away the tears, you lift me when I fall. My life is saved by the mercy of your grace. It doesn't matter where I go, you walk with me. It doesn't matter when I fall, you cover me. You wipe away the tears, you lift me when I fall. My life is saved by the mercy of your grace. You are my Father, provider, you're my deliverer. Your mercies embrace me.
praise God. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout? Let's bless together right now. Oh, come on. There's more in you than that. Give God all of your praise in this place today. Praise God. Right now is our moment to remember what Jesus Christ did in the cross for us. And so it's right now time to get that piece of bread that represents the body that Jesus broke. It's time to get the cup, which represents his blood. And let me just say this before we do it, is that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took a cup, said, this cup is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of many people's sins. Drink this remembrance of me. So I'm going to encourage you just to take that bread, dip it into the cup, and in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done, with a thankful heart and an attitude of gratitude, let's take this in remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. Let's pray one last prayer before we end today. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that we have this opportunity to gather, even online, as a church family, to remember who you are and what you've done. We thank you so much that for every single person here, you know the plans you have for them, plans to prosper them and not to harm them, plans to give them hope and a future. And so, because it's all about you, it doesn't revolve around us, but it's all about you, we pray all of your blessing your protection, your provision, your rest, your wisdom, strength, joy, peace, comfort, healing, and your Holy Spirit to fill every single person here until we next meet again. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout, and let's say together right now. That brings our service to a close, but our worship continues. Let's go into this week giving God our very best, our very best worship in all that we do. Love you guys. God loves you. Sign up for all next steps at mythrive.info. We'll see you guys next week for Mother's Day. It's going to be incredible. We're also going to continue our series called uh, Waiting for Sunrise, looking in the book of Isaiah. You don't want to miss it. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. God loves you. We're with you. Praise God. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody. Thank you for the powerful message, Pastor JB. We will hold on to these four truths about God that you shared today in the week to follow. Now for the announcements. If this is your first time visiting us, we would love to hear from you. Text NEW to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we will mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. It's our way of saying thank you for spending your precious time with us online. If you pray the prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, we're so excited for you. Please let us know by texting BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or by visiting myfrive.info. We have prepared a gift that includes a series of videos that may answer some of your questions about Christianity and we hope that it will guide you on the right path to follow Jesus. If you would like to get baptized to find out more about baptism, go to myfrive.info to sign up. If you're not yet part of a small group, I really encourage you to join one today. A small group provides a source of encouragement and accountability. It is a place where you can get connected with other thrivers, especially during COVID season when we can only meet online. To sign up for a small group, simply visit mythrive.info today. Thrive Discipleship School, TDS, is an online course that helps you build a strong foundation and grow in your relationship with God. 
This course is completely online. Not only will you get to learn 10 powerful lessons in seven weeks, you'll also be able to learn from your classmates in an online community environment. The next DDS Online starts at May 16. I highly recommend this course and registration is available at mythrive.info. Last but not least, we want to invite you to join us next Sunday, May the 9th, to celebrate Mother's Day together here at Thrive Church Online at 9.30am and 11.30am. If you're a mom, we want to honour and bless you by mailing a special gift to you. Please fill out your mailing address at mythrive.info. That is all for the announcements. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a privilege spending this time with you. Don't forget to give online at mythrive.info. Have a wonderful week and we will see you again next week, same time here at Thrive Church Online. Stay blessed and healthy and remember you are always in our prayers.